let's crack open the next brew. All okay. Right, let's pass them around. This is going to be the, uh, let me see, this is the Sunshine Daydream. Still fat heads? Oh, here you go. Let me pass these over. This Thanks, is going to be an IPA, an Indian pale ale. And, you know, I won't lie. Recently, I've really been enjoying IPAs. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I've actually really been enjoying IPAs recently. They're, they got so much flavor, man. There's something that's good. <laughs> What's your favorite IPA? I don't have a favorite yet. I, I honestly, like, you know how Heiser says, well, I don't have any kind of eschatology I abide by. So far, there's no one IPA I abide by. <laughs> I just I, find it funny. I can't, I always think of it as a mistake, you know? So if you're, if you're enjoying it, it was by accident that IPAs were created in a way. So I find it, I find it funny. I don't know if I could ever yeah. say it's my favorite type. Well, it's right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I like the one at Brew Kettle. Which one? Oh, oh. Raj? Raj. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, well, I mean, and, and IPAs have had evolution. Mm-hmm. They really have. They've had, had evolution over time because when you look at the first IPAs coming up all through the 80s and 90s, and they were very, very strong, right? They were very, very strong. Well, they're very hoppy. Well, yeah, strong flavor, strong alcohol content, both. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right, Raj is like 9.2%. Yeah. But IPAs recently, if you look at, at the recent evolution of IPAs, people have been incorporating more and more uh, flavors and blending more and more into it. And you are getting these really cool, interesting IPAs now that have all these different notes. You know, there's... There's the old standard they created across Europe. We're only going to use these couple ingredients in beer. Well, if you look at before that, that's not true. They incorporated all kinds of stuff into beer. Different fruits, Don't different Don't they still herbs. do that like in Germany today? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just like only a few ingredients that they yeah. have. And yeah, the German purity law. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But, if you, but now all these craft brewers across the United States... They're bringing back what was originally a beer, all these different herbs and fruits, and and it's really a great time for beer. <laughs> so this one, actually, I don't think I've had this one yet. Let's see, Sunshine Daydream. Nice. Ooh, that's it is very nice. Definitely taste some citrus for sure. Oh yeah. Oh, see, there's peach in it, but I don't quite oh, taste it. Oh, I taste it. the peach. Oh, okay, I how come every beer one. I drink, I want fish and chips? Well, it doesn't matter what I drink. It's just like that goes good with fish and chips. It goes mind. well with crab cakes and chicken wings. So yeah, it doesn't matter what <laughs> doesn't matter what beverage. I'm going with chicken wings. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, I'm a I'm a pescatarian, so right, chicken right. wings are off for me. But the fish and chips are not. <laughs> yeah. What about tofu wings? You know, I've heard, and I haven't had them yet, I've heard that Melt has really good uh, vegan wings. Really? I've never been. Never <laughs> I've been. heard the vegan wings there are phenomenal. So I, I really? have to. Really? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard. Uh, Russ, you know Russ. Yeah. Uh, he said that Melt has, like, phenomenal vegan uh, chicken wings. So I've got to try them one night. I just have to. Okay. His sandwiches are killer. Russ man. is a vegan, oh, huh? Yeah. Well, no, no, he's not vegan. He's a vegetarian. Okay. Yeah, he's vegetarian. No, he will eat eggs and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I'm I'm pescatarian, so I, I can I can still eat fish. I can still eat fish. But this is I, I this is actually a really good IPA. It's pretty crisp. I like it. Oh man, it's crisp. It's got great flowery notes. Um, the head's a little foamy, but you know what? It, it actually tastes really good. It's not. I'm just drinking out of the bottle, so I didn't pour it. It didn't foam up. You know, sometimes you open the bottle and it just, like, starts. So maybe after you pour it, it gets heady. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) this one's not. And, you know, I'm not burping all over the place as soon as I drink it. So (laughs) I don't think it's the carbonation issue, but it does change per bottle, I'm sure. Yeah, you're right. There is a difference. I like it better out of the bottle than I I do do out of this glass. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'll do the grass first. I, I, <laughs> I didn't leave anything in the bottle. I can't compare. <laughs> yeah. But man, I, this is actually really... Now, see, once again, this is one of those IPAs where they're, they're imbuing it, right, with, with little bits of fruit, uh, different little pieces of, of herbs, and it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I only get the peach aftertaste, like, a while. Yes. You know, if I sit and listen for a while and stop drinking, then I, I get, like, a peach aftertaste. But Good job, fatheads. <laughs> it should open up a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right. Let's move on. So, we were looking at Nicene Creed. We are going to move past that now. Do you have anywhere where listeners download the resources, such as those notes for the... We will. We will. Um, as If you're listening to this right now, uh, our podcast is not currently up and running. <laughs> we are launching in May. And by the time you hear this, you will know that. But we will have links inside of the uh, inside of the the podcast website. Cool. So, yes, we we mentioned that previously inside the last podcast. I think it was. Um, but yeah, we will have links to our resources where we got stuff from, all that good stuff. Gotcha. So, because I got some really cool resources. Yeah. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because we tell people never, never just take our word. Oh no! Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. that's that's one thing. Once again, we are blue collar guys mm-hmm. doing deep research, and we can do that. Anybody can do that, and we're just proving to you that that can happen. Don't take our word for it. Dive in. So um, I just have a, a a quick timeline up. You can't see it from where you're at, but I just have a quick timeline up right now of Christian history. It's actually really interesting. If, for those who don't know, if you go back to the inception of Christianity, say around 33 AD, all right, um, you have timelines that pop out from that. From that standpoint, uh, you go into the what's called the Antinicene Fathers, right? That's the fathers that were before Nicaea. Uh, you have the Nicene Fathers, the ones that were there at Nicaea and the post-Nicene Fathers, which are those since then. So, and if you look at that, you actually have really good papers. I've actually gone through and I've collected most of what is now available for anti-Nicene writings. I I think I have like, uh, off the top of my head, I think it's 2,000 writings. But um, I've been (laughs) been collecting the the anti-Nicene writings, and it's, it's really cool. Because a lot of the misconceptions go away once you incorporate the early church fathers. That's why I can tell you, there's, there's all these people out there. And, and once again, to bring them up, there's Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And we'll tell you, well, this is what scriptures mean. Just read the scriptures. It's plain. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now. I will say this over and over and over again. If you are reading scripture literally... You are not reading scripture literally. And I literally mean that. <laughs> because you sound like Heiser. <laughs> if you are reading, number one, if you're listening, listening to this podcast, you're probably an English reader. And if you are reading English texts, you are reading a translation. And that translation has done the best they can to show you what it means. But it's not the Word of God. All right? Number one, let me bump this up a notch. I firmly believe the Word of God is only the Word of God once it lives inside of you. Printed words on the page are not the Word of God. That's going to sound very sacrilegious, especially if you're Baptist. But... (laughs) (laughs) The Word of God is not the Word of God until it lives inside of you. That's when it's the word of God. Until then, it's, it's just words on a page. Exactly. Honest words, but words on a page. But outside of that, once again, if you're reading in English, you are mix, mixing, mixing, missing <laughs> all the subcontext. I mean, there's verbiage going on behind there. 
there's a language going on there that you can only see inside Hebrew and Greek. And the only way to get to that is by either learning the languages yourself or going into really good helps. And there's some very good helps out there. I use, I use Logos Bible Software, uh, and they do have a lot of good free helps. Okay, this is not a plug. I don't shameless, shameless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get anything for telling you this. I have spent my own money in this software, <laughs> but uh, I use but Logos Bible Software, and uh, it does a really great job. There, they have interlinears and everything else. You can go as far as you want to, or as least as you want to. They have good free helps. Um, actually, the Faith Life Study Bible is awesome. And that will take you pretty far into the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, especially if you use some helps like uh, uh, the Net Bible, for example, New English Translation. That actually has 65,000 notes inside of it on translation. So there, there's a couple of good ones you can get into that really take you to the Hebrew and the Greek and the verbiage behind it. Um, but there's just fantastic notes you want to get into because you miss it. You miss all of that if you're not looking for it. If you look at your English translation and you read it in English, especially if it's KJV, <laughs> you're missing a lot. And, and to give you an example, by the way, I'm not going to go on a tangent, but you KJV readers out there, <laughs> go fetch a compass. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, it's because it's no longer used, which is why KJV does not help the modern person. <laughs> You're going to have to unpack that a bit then. All right. So (laughs) go fetch a compass is one of those terms that's actually inside of the archaic uh, English. Do you know what it means? Go around. Oh. Yeah. Who would know that? You know? Go fetch a compass. Okay. Uh, All right, Lewis and Clark. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but Good it actually point. needs to go around that, right? But so. actually, even some of the more modern translations, because of the the access to information that we have now, uh, which is just so vast, that we're the, the newer translations are probably more accurate, in a sense, just because of technology and just because of the, of, of what we've learned and what we've discovered more in history. Brute history? Uh, oh, hold one second, one second, one second. So, <laughs> let's, there is, there's formal equivalence, okay? There's dynamic, there's, here's what you want to do. You want to go to a Bible that's as close to translation as you can get, but it's still readable. Right. Okay? And there's ways to do that. Um, we'll unpack that more later. But, for example, I'll give you two big contrasts. Um, you have like the New English Translation, and they actually do a very nice job. I have one or two issues with it, but they do a fantastic job. One of the better study Bibles out there without even being a study Bible, because it's really just a Bible that, that gives you all of the translation notes and what's going on inside the Masoretic text, what's going on inside the Septuagint, and they actually reference back and forth. It's awesome to really see what's going on behind the text. So, And that's just a regular translation that includes the notes. But then you have horrible, horrible translations. I guess I'm going on record on saying this too. Mm. You have horrible translations like the message. <laughs> but they're, they're not even really translations, aren't they? More oh, of a, oh, aren't no. they more of a, a what do you call it? Um, paraphrases? Paraphrases. It, it, it is. It is. A, Steve, don't get him riled up. Man. The whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing is a paraphrase. <laughs> because they go, I mean, there's things. When I go to read the Message Bible, it's because I need some good comedy in my life. <laughs> you might as well just have an all pop-up Bible, you know, with exactly. little pop-up pictures. That's more accurate. <laughs> Sorry, that's the but, but I wouldn't even call that a translation. But they do. They do. They call it a modern translation. Depends on how deep of a thinker you want to be, oh, how much you want to research. 
I'll tell you what, if you're reading that, you don't yeah. want to think very deeply. Right. Well, <laughs> well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. But but it serves a purpose for some, though. Uh, for somebody, somewhere. <laughs> I understand somebody who that. doesn't know English. You guys remember. You're right. But the, it's, old... the point is, it serves a purpose, though, for people. And they're, and they're content with it. Oh, it hurts my head. <laughs> but, but I think this boils down to one of the things that I think that we're kind of about is is that we like to dig deep. We, you know, yes. We just don't like. We just don't accept things for what they are. Yeah. They have to have a purpose and a reason. Yeah. And it's how we kind of look at things, and we just don't accept things just because they're there. But there's mm. easy to read translations that are fairly accurate. Okay, for yeah. example. I bought my kids a CEB. That's Charlie Echo Bravo. CEB uh, Bible this last Christmas. Why? It's really easy to read. I mean, it is in the plainest English you could possibly read. It's really, really good, simple English. But the thing is really accurate. Like I've gone through and compared it back and forth because, like I said, hey, I've got Logos Bible software. I can dig into the Greek and Hebrew and stuff. It's actually really accurate. And I actually used Heiser's approach, and I took Heiser's tips. And I went in, and I looked back and forth, and I, I sent him an email on it, in fact. I said, I think this is actually a good translation, but it's really easy. I sent, him, I sent it over to him, and he looked at, at the notes I sent him. I sent it back. He's like, I'm shocked. This is actually really accurate, and that's surprising because this is not made for people who like advanced stuff inside the Bible. This is made for regular people. This is made for regular readers. But mm. it's pretty doggone accurate. So, so there are translations out there, like the Common English Translation, um, well, Commish English, Common English Bible, C-E-B. Um, but they're really accurate. So, so there, there are those that are out there. You know, and that's one of those. But I, I, one of the things I'm thinking here, though, is that if you... It's kind of like your Christianity and working out your salvation, as we kind of talk about a lot. But how deep do you want to go with God? So if you just want it glazed over and just... Like like icing on, and that's it, you know. And you, if you don't want deep and, and understanding of things, then it goes back to the martial artist. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to remain a green belt your whole life, well, what if I want my black belt in a year? Because <laughs> there are those schools out there. There are. I won't mention any like Tracy's. I mean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or how deep do others want you to really go into the Word of God? Maybe that's a valid question, right? Most you are going to find that most guy. So you you there really is like the five percenters, and I think we are like the five percenters, right? We actually do like digging fairly deep. We do like knowing what the Bible actually says, knowing what our Christian forefathers actually taught. But there's a large portion of people out there who are like, yeah, that's nice. Okay, when's Christmas coming up? <laughs> so, I mean, well, there's a large percentage of people who don't even read their Bible. Yeah. And and they take what the pastor preaches as their Bible. I agree. On a Sunday morning. Yeah. You remember the Christian comedian Mike Warnke? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was found to be a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> he had a little song that I, I remember listening to as a child that I never forgot. It goes like this, um, my faith is based on nothing less than Schofield's notes and scripture press. <laughs> and so you really have to ask yourself, like, why are some of these things allowed to be printed, distributed on a mass scale, knowing so many things are changed? So again, back, I'm just wondering, is it a valid question? Like, how deep do maybe... Some people not want us to go into the word, or is it just just translation errors? That's all it is. I don't know. And I think it boils down to your your own personal faith. So some people have their fire insurance, as they say, and they're happy, and they don't. They I don't know if it's the thing where they feel like, well, if I learn more, then that means more is going to be required of me, or something like that. But but it's. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. You know, I I, I believe that. You know, like I say, you. It, it, it's a war. 
it's you know hmm. you constantly got to be in the word and, and just and understanding things and it, I think as the more and more you read it the more and more not just read it but to, to study it and to to examine it thoroughly and as that you start looking you start seeing things that are like wow I never really knew that right. yeah. just hits you like a like a like a baseball bat across your head you know well wake up bro kind of when I when I became saved and was young and was accepting counsel um, a lot of the counsel was very dogmatic and I know if I thought for myself I would be against the dogma and that would be frowned upon and when I first started looking past the pages and uh, literalism you know for everything I felt a little worried that I was on thin ice that I was going outside the lines but I you know real recognize that hey this is going to be a legitimate relationship with God or else it's it's you know I'm not really believing something that's bigger than anything I can understand really so so I let myself proceed with this uh, scholarly investigation of, of things you know really kind of putting together science and that and thought and Bible and emotion, you know, letting it all really seep in. And that begins making you want to share it with other people. And you know it when you share it with other people, you see the nervousness start happening in their eyes. And you don't want to take it any further because you realize you were there once, you know, but you also piss some people off, you know, (laughs) like they... They're not ready for that, and they think you're attacking them. That's true. They get defensive. Right. Yeah. So you do have to be careful, and I, I do think I that's, agree. that's. I mean, if you are not a 5%er, I never heard that that percentage before. I've heard it. But wor- I'll look it up. <laughs> that's good. I've heard it worded like this, like you, we're pulling the rug out from under them, their yeah. foundation, and not yeah. giving them anything to stand on. Right. Yeah, there's no safe, there's no handlebars, no yeah. safety belt. I mean, you're taking them into unknown territory where they don't know is this sin or not? Mm. But to Steve's point, you have to do more work because now I just uncovered something that either you accept as gospel or you look up and validate. Do you trust and You had the not? faith to step out there. A lot of people don't. Right. don't have the faith. So when you pull the rug, you're open because you're still seeking. Yeah. You're still working. You're that martial artist still working mm-hmm. where they are stagnant. So they don't have anything to back up their, right. their, their frail views. Mm-hmm. But I think like Gumby's point, where people don't want you to dig deep, I do think it's a makes them nervous. Yeah, scared. it's not. It's not for maybe there are some conspiracies out there, but I don't think it's for like holding you know oppression or anything. But I do think it's just oh no, I wouldn't do that. We're not brave enough, you know. So, I, but I do think as a society, we're, it's just gonna be very slow moving. But we do have to get this word out there to allow people to start thinking. I bet more of the third world countries are less dogmatic and more willing to experiment and and think for themselves, you know. You're probably right. I had that thought actually earlier when something Aaron was saying, I was thinking, you know, typically at the source of things, I wonder if people are a lot less judgmental than we are here on the derivative end of something. You know, we, we almost have a derivative form of Christianity here, you know, something. That's, Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not going to say Jim Jones or anything like that. <laughs> but, yeah, but, you know, no, that's a good point, Mike, because you wonder, like, <laughs> You're right. at the source of all of these things, there's probably just so much less, uh, I don't know what's the word, masks to deal with or bureaucracy or... Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff. Well, I I think we have a department store version of Christianity here. Oftentimes, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Well, think about it. (laughs) You know, you know what? Maybe I'm a Walmart person. Maybe you're a Target person. You know. In fact, maybe I'm going to go to Kohl's today. You know. (laughs) You know. I think it's it's actually almost like that over here. It's it's like you know what? I like the way that they teach the Old Testament. I like the way that they teach the New Testament. You know what? Okay. I, that's, that, I, I'm going to split my, my ways up. You know? And it's, 
And it, it, that's, once again, why we have so many different denominations, why we have all these different organizations, why we have, because we have a department store mentality when it comes to church. Hmm. Well, we are consumers, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, Aaron. You know, it, it's become... And we like smorgasbord. <laughs> I'll take it, a little of this and a little of that. Right, right. And, and that's true, though. That, that's true. It, it's, it's become more like um, I need to go to the church that has the, the best men's meeting because they serve the best food rather than where am I going to feed my soul? You know, it's, it's become less and less about what is actually Christian and more and more about where's the cool place to hang out. You're right. Where are the cool kids at? Social. <laughs> and it's, it, exactly. Hmm. So, you know, where are we going? We're going to Friday night. You know, it, it, it's, it's become like that, unfortunately. Where's Arias at tonight? And what are you wearing? <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> or what the music's like. Yeah. They play electric car games. Hello. <laughs> um, that also brings us, coming up, we're, we're going to skip over a few of the councils because some of them are, eh, I mean, cool things go on behind the scenes, but to actually go through all of them, it would take us like all night. So we're just going to hit some highlights. Okay. So um, we're going to go to the third council, Ephesus. Now, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, well, I think so. I think so. Um, they confirmed the Nicene Creed there. Um, but, but, uh, Nestorius was also at that one. Don't, you know, don't confuse him with Nestle. But uh, <laughs> he, he had uh, issues with calling Mary the Theotokos because that means God-bringer, right? God-bearer, um, Technically, if, if I recall right, it actually translates as God, birther, bearer in Greek. But <laughs> um, more, but once again, it speaks of giving birth to God. He okay. had issues with that. He didn't like that. Okay, he wanted Christotokos, you know, birther of Christ. Because he didn't like it going that deep. But once again, this is where we go back to our first discussion. If we're not giving birth to God, where's redemption? If it's not God, then where, where, where do we get redeemed? If we're just saying that the anointed one is giving birth, then where's our, where's our redemption? Because anointed one can get applied to a lot of people. Go back to the Old Testament. There are pagans in, in the Old Testament that are called anointed ones. <laughs> so my family maiden's name is Pagan by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it gets really interesting you know uh, and, and I know the question is going to kind of come up what there's a Pagan called anointed one and it's true uh, Cyrus in the Old Testament um, in the book of Daniel um, when Daniel comes out to talk to him and he references him Inside of inside the scrolls, it tells him that he is part of the prophecy, and in the prophecy, he's referred to as anointed one. And uh, it, it's a really cool story. If you go back and actually actually read it in context, it's a really cool story. And he actually is the one that releases the the Jews from Babylon. It's pretty cool. That then finances the rebuilding of their temple. So why? Well, that's nothing short of their Messiah there. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. It yeah. really is. It's fascinating that God was able to use somebody like that to help them out. I think, um, you know, I got hung up a little bit on the definition of Theotokos versus, uh, what was the other one? Christotokos. Christotokos. Because I could see why there would be a problem with birthing God over birthing Christ because birthing is having offspring and sort of like the creation of and God was created so that would put Mary as the creator of all <laughs> creators <laughs> uh, potentially as a translation would go and and so I 
I would lean more carefully and and say the birther of Christ more than the. Yeah, that's where Nestorius was. That's that's exactly where Nestorius was. Mm-hmm. But once again, and here's where here's where it lies: Is Jesus God? Yes. Theotokos. Correct. Yeah, both of these are <laughs> correct. I would just not. I understand your point. <laughs> yeah. I understand your point. Yeah. Yeah. But but think of it from his point of view. This is going down through history. Now, can Christotokos be misinterpreted? Yeah. Because there's other people in the Bible called anointed one, right? Hmm. Yeah, there's even people who don't believe in Yahweh who are called anointed one. Right. So that's why they go with Theotokos, because now we are affirming Jesus is God. Hmm. So you've indoctrinated me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I agree. <laughs> it's just we're conditioned, at least I'm conditioned, to uh, cater to people I don't have confidence in, and I know they're going to screw things up if I say this or that, but apparently, either way, you're doomed. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a clarification thing. Once yeah. again, and, and mind you, Mary. Okay, and, and okay. So here we go. Here we go. Ready? This is this is the the uncharted territory and a, and a lot of uh, go for it, Aaron. Go for it. Non non orthodox, non Catholic places. So, who is Mary? Mary was the mother of Christ, right? Okay. Right. Okay. And she was supposed to be called blessed, mm-hmm. right? In fact, if you go back to the New Testament, she's actually referenced as being the new the new Ark of the Covenant. That's mm. actually yeah, I'll, I'll pull it out for you later. Ooh, but yes, please. Yeah, that's that's mm. there's actually a passing reference of of her carrying the new covenant because she was the Theotokos, right? She carried God. Mm. She carried the new covenant within her. Mm-hmm. So she was literally the embodiment of the new Ark of the New Covenant. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? That is cool. I'm sending my daughter back to Catholic school. <laughs> 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 but but I, I think the biggest problem, especially in the Protestant church, is that we, we downplay that. Tremendously. Tremendously. Yeah. Whereas the Orthodox and the Catholics kind of maybe upplay it. I, it, I would say... Okay, so I would say the Catholics maybe take it a little too, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, go a little too far. Yeah. I think the Orthodox have a good balance. I really do. I really do. I think they have a good balance. Um, Once again, in my conversations with my Orthodox friends, they've explained very well to me uh, how all that translates. Uh, For example, they'll say, we we say things from the Protestant side. You're not supposed to pray to the dead. All right? I mean, clearly it says in the Bible, you are not to pray to the dead. Now, here's their argument. I thought Jesus Christ was the resurrection. Is he or is he not the resurrection? So, if we are alive in Christ, which one of us is dead? See where that gets a little bit tricky? So, if all of us, because... To be dead in the body is to be what? Alive in Christ. Body present with the Lord. Alive in Christ. Mm-hmm. So from their perspective, and I totally get this, from their perspective, and this goes back to the root words of prayer, for example. What does the word prayer mean? Ah. No, not at all. That's actually not what it means. Prayer literally just means request. That's all it means. Prayer means request. Mm. Go back to the root word of it. It's request. And that's why if you go to the older church, like the older churches, like Orthodoxy and Catholicism, if you go to the older denominations, they worship one God. They don't call it prayer because it isn't prayer. When you're worshiping, you're worshiping. If I'm praying, I'm asking for something. Well, if all I do is pray, I'm an awfully selfish person. Point well taken. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So you can see from their point of view, if I say, well, I'm praying to God, oh, man, you suck. You're a selfish person I've ever heard of. (laughs) So from their point of view, you worship one God. 
And yes, you do make prayers, but that's a request. That's when you're asking God for something. That's not talking about how awesome he is or how wonderful he is or, you know, that's not conversation. That's saying, hey, I need this. So from their point of view, it's a request. So they worship one God. But they can say a quote-unquote prayer to anybody because it's just a request. So what about the uh, growing up, I've always heard the, you know, the evangelical perspective on that, you know, uh, pray without ceasing all the time. How does that, how does that fit in? Well, it depends on which, denom- which denomination you're talking to. The pop-up <laughs> Bible. The... <laughs> uh, if, if you go into the, the, once again, if you go back to orthodoxy, that's the Jesus prayer. And, that's, and you say the Jesus prayer throughout the day. Um, and, and you get to the point of what's called like hasakia, you, the, the loss of yourself, so that way your heart is praying always. So that does change things a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I could almost see like he's saying, would you stop asking? Just do something for yourself for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Jesus prayer is, is an honest one because it's literally just you submitting yourself to the Lord. That's really all it is. Mm. So that one's just, that's all that one is. It's a simple prayer just submitting yourself to the Lord. That's it. Um, but like, for example, if I say, uh, hey, Mike. Yes. I, can, you say, can you say a prayer for me? Absolutely. I literally just said a prayer to you. Oh. Because did I ask That's you to blasphemy. pray? That's <laughs> blasphemy. Did I ask you to pray for me? You did. That's, That's a request. request. Yeah. So that is literally all I... So I literally just prayed to you. So... He's indoctrinating you, Mike. Don't, don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so from their perspective, they are simply asking somebody who's on the other side of the veil to say a prayer for them. That's all they're doing. So they are not worshiping any other God. They're asking somebody to also say a prayer for them, just like I would ask any one of you to say a prayer for me. And that's their perspective. They worship one God. That's an interesting perspective because we're all taught we can now, because of our advocate, go straight to God. Right. Right. So I wonder what their thought process is. And if they pray to multiple people, like, maybe if I ask enough, if I make enough requests up there, they get heard, you know, <laughs> pray to every saint yeah. and well, God. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, what? Uh, well, once again, work? once again, it's the same thing as, hey, Mike, can you say a prayer for me? Mm-hmm. Same thing. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I don't also request the Lord, but it also means I can ask all of you to say a prayer for me. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I, yeah. Were I mean, it was that the practice? Because for me, I I can't conceptualize praying to Mary because I don't really feel she gives me an advantage um, when I can pray directly to the Creator. Okay, but that's, does that mean that you would never ask anybody else to pray for you? <laughs> See, I I mean, <laughs> honestly, I don't. But I don't know if that's because of pride <laughs> or because of this. Yeah. Be- I- I'm there with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. Right. And it's probably pride. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about prayer hotlines on TBN? <laughs> Only Wait, when they're I'm, praying I'm to you like to pray you. to them. I feel like if you can go straight to the source, <laughs> yeah. uh, go straight to the oh, creator. Shoot. That's like a vicious Why would I ask? <laughs> they're praying you to pray for yeah. them. To pray. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's worse than circular reasoning. <laughs> But if you give a generous gift, though, your prayer will be more important. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just burst the gardens of heaven. Ding, ding, ding. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So from from their perspective, that is all they're doing. Because once again, Jesus Christ is he or is he not the power of the resurrection? Mm-hmm. And if we believe in him, are we not all alive in him? So literally, all you are doing is asking from their perspective. All you're doing is asking people to pray for you. It does not mean that you also don't pray for yourself. You do. Right. And actually, if you go back to the earliest, I, I have uh, I have prayer books at home. And if you look through the prayer books, some of those prayers are really, really old. Like 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 going all the way back to, you know, second, third century. They recently, actually, they just recently unearthed one. 
in one of the caverns over in the Middle East. And it was, they had, they had prayers on, on uh, parchment. And one of them, in the second century, was to Mary. It's pretty fascinating. Um, hmm. Because, once again, that, that shows you that that mindset goes all the way back to the second century. They wrote their prayers down? Yeah, apparently they found one. <laughs> so, but, hmm. yeah, like I said, I, I've, I've got prayer books. Mind you, mine are the digital version. But... Hmm. <laughs> Um, I've, I've got prayer books, but if you look at the dates of when they were written down, there's some of those are really, really old prayers. Um, and my, mind you, most of them are to the Father and to Jesus, the, the triune God. Most of the prayers are to the triune God. And it, that's why they specifically reference Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. Right. The thing that concerns me with that practice is... Um... I see a lot in my Catholic friends how they have specific saints that they pray to for specific categories of life. You know, if you want to sell your house, you pray to one saint. You have problems with your marriage, you pray to another saint. And to me, that's interesting because that's creating sort of gods over subjects in your life. And and I think that when we're talking, maybe that's two different things, but it, I could see how it would lead to that. It could lead because to Because humans are formulaic, so if... You pray to saint somebody to sell your house, and your house sells. You're gonna go back to that saint. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? You're gonna tell your friend go to that saint. Yeah. I wonder how I could bribe him. <laughs> you bury him upside down, right? <laughs> how do That's you a good get, point. How do you bribe a saint that's not alive anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No. That that that, that paints a good. But once again, if you go to like uh, your your Oriental Orthodox, your Eastern Orthodox, um, you have your chrismation. Your in your chrismation, you are you have your your own saint. But the saint isn't the saint is more there as an inspiration. Okay, I'm not saying that you you can't say you make requests, but um, he's more there as an as a, uh, an inspiration, like a hero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that. something to aspire to. So it's it's interesting. Once, once, interesting. once you start getting into the older side of Christianity, it gets it gets pretty interesting. <laughs> um, and I I mean uh, when I was a kid, I, we left the Catholic Church when I was I think it was like eight. Was it eight? I think it was eight. So, but it's funny how those little ticks stick with you, because I was I was one of the I, I was I was the kid that would take my grandmother to church after that. But I remember how to cross myself. When I mean, I remember everything. It was kind of funny because we left when I was a little kid, but I still remember everything, hmm. you know. But because I was I was baptized in the church, I was allowed to take her to church, uh. you know. So, so I was edged, you know. So I would pick her up and take her to church. Yeah, and they can weed you out if you don't know how to pray right at their <laughs> church because that's happened to me. Yeah. Especially the Catholic Church, because yeah, yeah, I was at a know. Catholic funeral once, and I didn't know how to pray. I just went up to the priest during the funeral because I was one of the pallbearers, and I just stuck my hands out my tongue because that's what one of my uncles told me to do. He's like, "Oh, you'll be fine. Just go up there, stick your hands out, stick your tongue out, close your eyes." And so I go up there during the funeral, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> "He was messing with you." Wasn't and he, he looks like he looks at me. He's like, "You're not Catholic, are you?" I'm like, "Uh." Uh-uh. <laughs> 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 yeah. He's like, "Go, be blessed anyway." <laughs> Did he give any sac- sacramental wine? Oh, it was almost like a light <laughs> slap on the head kind of thing. <laughs> so he turned to a bunny hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, pretty interesting. That actually takes us down into uh, Cal- into Chalcedon, the uh, the fourth council. This is where things get interesting because you get into monophysite. Uh, monof- I can say this. I can totally say this. You got it. Monophysite churches. Monophysite. Yeah, mono, monophysite, monophysite. Anyway, um, the uh, there was a split inside of Orthodoxy, all right, and that's where you now you have your Eastern Orthodox, and you have your Oriental Orthodox. And believe it or not, it comes down to simple terminology. Okay, so. Um, the two natures of Christ were affirmed during those those last two councils. Okay, so he was one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. Two natures. That's why if you look at pictures 
uh, you'll see that three fingers are touching and two fingers are out. And there's different forms it takes, okay? Mm. But when you see that, it represents the Trinity and the two natures of Christ. So mm. if you go back and look at all those early paintings, Jesus always has three fingers touching, two fingers out mm-hmm. in every single one. It represents the triune God and the two natures of Christ. So I know that. Yeah, so that's, that's in all those early paintings. Yeah, go, now that you mentioned it, I up. can see it. But the artist in but me is like... But that's how they cross themselves, too. Yes. And that's what it represents. Huh. Interesting. That's to make sure you know what you believe again, see? Which um, artist came up with that first? I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows that one. Mm. Although, I'm going to jump ahead of myself here because the Seventh Council... And this is really the interesting thing about the Seventh Council. So I'll go ahead and and and, and bring it up. In fact, yeah, let's let's finish off the whole split here real quick, just so I can jump into that because that's really cool. So um, once again, there was that split there, and they they said no, it's God. God has to have one holy, unique uh, nature, and so that became the Oriental Orthodox. Now. Later, they realized it came down to a terminology thing. So, and there are some deep roots there that separate them, but only by a very, very fine line. Very, very fine line. So you have Eastern Orthodox, and you've got Oriental Orthodox. Your Oriental Orthodox are like your Arminians, your Ethiopians, your um, uh, Coptic. Your so you have you have two branches of Orthodoxy, but they can actually take communion in each other's churches. So they're actually still tied very, very closely. It's just that they disagree on some of the quote-unquote theology that really more or less breaks down to terminology. Because hmm. the Oriental Orthodox will define that there is two natures of Christ, human and divine, within one holy nature. Whereas your, your Eastern Orthodox defines it explicitly as divine and human, and that is Christ, is two natures. So really, it's a kind of a fine line, and that's why they kind of broke those some of, some of those barriers down, and they can now you know take communion in each of those churches. So so there is there the orth, orthodoxy is slowly bringing itself back together. Eastern Orthodox has never changed; they still accept all the, all seven councils. It's just that at the end of the fourth council, that's where the East, the Oriental Orthodox stopped. So, but we're going to jump ahead because there's a lot of like small basic stuff across the next two councils. We don't, we don't need to go through and figure out when Pasca is supposed to be and all that good stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, that's really a lot of that. A lot of the next two councils define like how does it, how a bishop, you know, goes to another province to visit and all that stuff which it is interesting and it's 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 meant to make process easier and all that he should contact them prior to coming oh yeah there's so yeah you don't just go to another monastery or anything like that you don't do that uh you actually have to make preparation and that's actually to make sure that they have accommodations for you and all that good stuff so so there actually is a lot of not ceremony but preparation when you travel from one to another um, and there's also also embedded within those last couple of councils is when they went from uh, they were priests were allowed to marry, then oh, really? for a time they weren't allowed to marry, but then you got this thing called the bubonic plague and all that good stuff, and then they were allowed to marry again because you need to bring more Christians back in. So, <laughs> <laughs> so to this day, if you're Oriental or Eastern Orthodox and you're a priest, you can still be married. On, a, on a Eastern Orthodox, you uh, before you are ordained, Correct. you have to be married. Yes. Yeah. But once you're ordained, if you're single, you have to remain single. Right. So let's skip ahead. Let's skip ahead to the Seventh Council, because as interesting as all that is, we're going to skip ahead because the Seventh Council is where they made sure that icons were brought back into the Eastern Orthodox Church. 
Now, instead of going over all of the confusion of icons, I'm just going to highlight what icons actually are to the Eastern Orthodox Church because there's a lot of confusion over here in the West. So, icons are your pictures into heaven. They're your pictures into the afterlife. They're your, in the early days, they were the stories to the illiterate. You know, they, they, they illustrated the stories of the Bible. They were the Bible to the illiterate. And that's why if you look, to this day, if you go to the Eastern Orthodox churches, there'll be icons across the entire church. Everywhere. Everywhere. Right? Yep. <laughs> okay. So, but that's be, that, that, the root of that comes from illustrating the stories of the Bible. So, but it, they're cool. In fact, um, did you hear about the uh, history of where the first icon came from? I believe I have heard it, but um, not can't recall it. Well, according to church tradition, the first icon came from St. Luke, the same guy who wrote the book of Luke and the, and the book of Acts. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a cool little thing because supposedly uh, he painted it and, and uh, Mary, the Theotokos, uh, it, it blessed it and all that good stuff. But that's, that's church tradition. Hmm. So is it true? Is it not true? Who knows? But it's kind of cool. Um, but icons came out of favor for a while because, um, well, once again, during one of the councils, they tried to pull it, pull them out. And then they, people were persecuted for having them. Um, they would actually write stuff across to you and all that horrible stuff. But they came back into favor. And, uh, and once again, icons are a way of, um looking into the next life, uh, looking into your past, looking into, you know, and there are pictures of the saints, there are pictures of scenes that happen across the Bible. Um, and the Orthodox do what's called uh, veneration, you know, and, and sometimes they even kiss the icons and stuff, but that's because they're supposed to be pictures of beloved stories or beloved people, just like you would kiss a, a picture of your mother or kiss a picture of your son or your daughter. Um so that's what those are. You're you're not never obligated to do that, but that they become very dear to a lot of people and to a lot of families. Um, but that's that's what they are. So it's kind of weird to us in the West, who come from the very Protestant side of things. To us, it almost looks like it's a, a sacrilegious thing. Why are they worshiping mm -hmm. that picture? <laughs> right. So, but we have to bring it up because it is a very ancient part of Christianity, um, going right back to the first century. That it, it's a very, very ancient part of Christianity, and in the West we have to know about this because it is part of Christian heritage. This is why they're they're still around. Is they were birthed out of the out of illiteracy, and they became very dear to people because that was their Bible. So. Well, I think it's good, and I do think modern Christianity, American Christianity, a lot of times misses the reverence that that sort of thing brings, probably out of fear of blasphemy, you know? But I know my mom taught me never to hold a Bible upside down or put it on the floor, you know? same. I mean, we kind of do the same reverence with the American flag. None of that's blasphemy. So I can see that being a value, I mean, there's no, in our church no dress code at all and sometimes i think that's good and other times i think that's bad because people don't practice the sacrifice of you know dying to yourself and and actually kind of being uncomfortable but to show god the respect you know and and i can see both sides to it but i, I can see how icons do help bring you closer you know especially when there's spandex involved <laughs> <laughs> Some things can't be Look, I wear, I wear it one time, and then you judge me. <laughs> hey, it's better than yoga pants. <laughs> Same thing. Well, you know what? You, you bring up a valid point. I remember my mom would always say her thing was, um, when you go into the Lord's house, you wear your best. Mm -hmm. So that's how they're always taught. So every time we go to church, we're always dressed up in shirt and tie. And I, I could remember at times um, uh, there would be some other 
teenagers or youth my age that didn't wear a tie. You know, I tried to do that, and, uh, and they explained to me, well, for whatever reason they don't, or it's not explained to them, you have them, you have several, and you will wear one. Right. Uh, and now, going fast forwarding to what you just said, yeah, I've been to churches where there's no dress code. You don't put up a structure. People are structureless. Mm-hmm. And they don't know they're structureless. Right. But at the same time, God is here for the sick as well. And if, if that's a barrier, you know, we want to remove that barrier. But it's, it's like you... My judging? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing too. We have to be open for it. But I think that's when it comes down to your self-awareness. You know, like... All right, I was there once. Now I'm more mature. And if we do it, maybe the other ones will follow suit, recognize that sort of thing. I think we've become lenient and lost respect for that kind of stuff. And I'm sort of speaking out of uh, self condemnation right now because I realize that I I'm kind of this, you know, pot calling the kettle black right now. But um, you wore spandex too, didn't you? <laughs> as long as i had sleeves on i thought i was being fine (laughs) i i I think all of this is important um it goes back to actually to uh i think i think somebody who was very very cool is what's called the vincenson (laughs) canon in the vincenson canon uh, it was very simple. Uh, he had to come up with a simple way to say that this is why we, what we do and why we do it. So the long explanation is, and this is a quote, therefore because of the intricacies of air, which is so multiform, there is great need for the laying down of a rule for the exposition of prophets and apostles in accordance with a standard interpretation of the Church Catholic. Now, I'll break before I continue. Church Catholic or Catholic just means the universal church. He's not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Continuing. Now, in the Catholic Church itself, we take the great cave to hold that which has been delivered everywhere, always and by all. That is truly and properly Catholic, as is shown by the very force and meaning of the word, which comprehends everything almost universally. We hold to this rule if we follow universally antiquity and consent. We shall follow universally if we acknowledge that one faith to be true, which the whole church throughout the world confesses. Antiquity if we lie and wise depart from these interpretations, which is clear that our ancestors and fathers proclaimed. Consent if antiquity itself we keep following the definitions and opinions of all, or certainly nearly all, bishops and doctors alike. Now, they sum that up very easily, very nicely, where it's, that faith is Catholic, which is everywhere, which is always, which is by all people believed. And that's the Vincenzen canon, which just simply, simply means that if it is true, it's been believed since the beginning, by the whole church, and clearly understood. And that is what keeps you away from error. So that's why, going back to um, all of the the great councils, the seven great councils, it is so important because that helped us define, through Scripture, what we are supposed to believe. Not because men said it, not because a bunch of guys said it, because there was hundreds of bishops present, each one is because they allowed the Holy Spirit to speak and they allowed the Holy Spirit to move through everyone through prayer and fasting at each of the great councils. There's a lot of prayer and fasting involved to make sure that the world, the Christian world as we know it, would know what to believe and how to believe it. It's also why they made sure there was two generations between each council. So they knew it was the Holy Spirit guiding it and not people. Mm. That's good. Yeah. So that's why we can look at modern day, quote unquote, 
denominations and say well, they're not Christian. You know, Seventh Day Adventist, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Why? Because they do not abide by what we know to be Christian. Christianity is defined by the councils. And you can say, oh, I, I believe it because of the way that the Bible says this. Okay, well, that's your own personal interpretation. That doesn't mean it's right. Once again, go back to the seven great councils. That's what defines the Christian faith. If you don't like that, that's fine. There's a lot of religions out there to pick from. Doesn't mean it's Christian. Plain and simple. It's so rough, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once again, that's that's why when we get to the modern day in the West, we have, once again, 40,000 denominations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Leave this out. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You're saying no. When you said forty thousand denominations, yeah. I'm going to leave this out and I'll grab this over here. I like this mm-hmm. better. Exactly. Exactly. A bunch of this stuff. Yeah. A little well, bit of this, a little bit of that. And that's because in the modern day, it's like, well, if this church doesn't what I like, I'm going to move on to the next one. Well, that's if it's if it's truth, if it's from if it's from the Bible, and it's been passed down shouldn't I be practicing what I know is right rather than going somewhere else where I think you know they align to what I think is right I think a lot of that though is people don't know what's right they're not not seeking well that's why hopefully they find this podcast (laughs) (laughs) well I think what also happens a lot of people uh uh, lead with their emotions. That's true. Rather than 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 truth and and and, and what what's accurate. Yeah. And so they they you know, a lot of the you know what we see, especially in America now, where you know people just church hop like crazy. You know, so yeah. it's like you know I don't. I didn't like this person because they the way they they treated me. I'm gonna go somewhere else where I where I feel liked or whatever. But they just based it on you know oh I like the music better there or something you know instead of what what are you, what are you know, what's being taught there what's being preached and what's being shared there is more important than. In your emotions. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Once again, how do you define yourself? Because I'll tell you what. Here, I'll put it to you this way. And maybe this will maybe this will help. If you go over, and let's say you're Muslim, okay? There is no doubt how you define yourself, right? If you go over and you're Buddhist, no doubt how you define yourself. You align with the protocols, right? In any other religion, any other religion, you align yourself with the protocols and you seek within the guidelines of that religion and you travel down the journey in that religion according to what has been set down for a millennia. I'm pretty sure Christianity is the only one where he created an entire mall of different denominations to walk back and forth from just because, you know what? I didn't like the Bible they were using. <laughs> so, of course, I might be guilty of that one. But Well, it comes down to <laughs> stupid things like I don't like color of the carpet. Yeah. Well, I would say that maybe, I don't know if this has always been the case, but I'm seeing division in the Muslim community, you know, with... ISIS and different sects and things like that, condemnation, they're interpreta- interpreting their religion. That's, that's political, though. That's, we'll get a better explanation when we do, our, when we do that episode. Where, like I said, we're going to have that, yeah. the, the Islamic episode where we bring my friend on, really good guy, where he actually explains all of that because that's actually a political movement, not a, not a religious movement. So, yeah, 
we won't go into that here because I'm sure we've stirred enough kettles tonight. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to be excommunicated. <laughs> no, you, that's right. No, it'll be after next week because we're going to release it next week. Sweet. Yeah, oh, it, it, we'll be releasing here in May. Well, I don't know if it's... Well, then next again, by the time... May. By the time, <laughs> by the time that this is released, <laughs> it'll already be out there. So, but we'll be releasing, eh, probably what, halfway through May? What do you think? Eh, it shouldn't take that long. Okay. <laughs> so, but hey, once again, let's wrap this one up. Um, we had really good conversation. We got to push ourselves through the councils. Um Got some good topics involved. Great beer. Really outstanding. Really good beer. <laughs> <laughs> great friends, great beer. Good conversation. Absolutely. So wait a minute, we're having conversation discussing the Bible and drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said. <laughs> you didn't have to say it, Kelvin. <laughs> going to assume that none of us are kind of Obviously we don't go to Baptist church. <laughs> Pentecostal or assemblies. Oh, um. the poor Baptists. They get beat up so much. We'd be alright with the Lutherans, though. Oh, yeah. I know one or two Lutherans. We get along well. <laughs> if you like what you've heard, please hit subscribe and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Google, Tumblr, Instagram, SoundCloud and visit us at BibleOverBrews.com.